you, Adrian. I love Adrian's music. I honestly do. I think he's so talented and gifted. It's such a pleasure, and I like that one. It's a great song. Um, just as I'm getting set up here, one thing that I've always detested has been getting old. And I've, I, I do. I, I, know I, I admit it. And I've tried to hold on to being young as I can until Phil's just declared that I'm in the 40s, 50s and others. <laughs> so I'm not going tonight. I'm going next week. So let's open God's word. And we are continuing from two weeks ago in the epistle of Peter, second epistle, chapter 2, and we're going from verse 12. I included 11 last time, so we're actually at 12 to the end. So I'm reading from the ESV, I'm sorry. Um, but I'm sure that you'll be able to follow up there. This is what Peter says. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast on you. They have highs full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, Balaam and the son of Bor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs, a mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For their speaking loud boasts of folly, they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after becoming sorry, than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing itself, returns to the waller in the mire. That is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, we thank you for the gifting and talent that you've given Adrian. And we ask, Lord, that you will use him to proclaim your name. Lord, we ask that you'll bless us tonight as we open up your word in your son's name. Amen. So we are continuing from two weeks ago. 
And the first part of the second chapter in Second Peter was a warning about false teachers. And if we kind of remember, we're saying that these false teachers that are active in our community, they're seeking to deceive us. They have heresies about who Jesus was. Was he divine? Was he just human? Corrupting the people. And the job was to actively really seek out and pull apart God's family. And we looked at three modern day heresies of that. And that were quite... That was really looking at their intentions and the people and the mindset of these false teachers. And then Peter says in verse 12, but he's ended that first part and he's saying, because of what has happened before, because of who these false teachers are, this is what's going to happen to them. This is what's going to come after. I've read this passage many, many times. And every time I've seemed to have written or wrote a different sermon. So I've settled on this one sermon. And praying that the Lord really uses it to bless us and encourage us tonight and to protect us. And my... Th <coughs> thought for tonight would be this what you believe determines how you act what happens in your mind will come out in your actions you can only fool people for so long and then what you do will show what you really believe and think after the last time when I spoke, and I spoke about I'd been away at a Bible college, I'd been to a liberal college, where they believe some different things that we believe. I've come across some people that I'd say are wrong. I were in this place, and I can say it because they're not here tonight. Somebody come up to me afterwards and went, you were in the wrong place. And I said, no, I said, I were in the right place. I said, because if I were in the place that was right, who's going to tell them the truth about Jesus? Who's going to witness to them? Who's going to stand strong for our faith? I think one of the things that <clears throat> has happened to the Christian community is that we've become afraid of the thoughts and beliefs of an outside world and we've gone into a bit of a shell. But we are told that we're supposed to go out there and stand strong for what we believe. Do we believe what we think is true? Well, then we must share that. If we think we've got the answer, we must share it to the question of the world. With that, I've just finished my degree and I found out this week I passed with a 2-1. Yay. I've got the same as Tony. I'll try to beat him, but turns out I'm just as stupid as him. <laughs> but So what's happened from that is that I've, I've, I've decided to go do a master's at Sheffield University. And I'm doing a master's in philosophy. Now when I've shared this with Christian people, 
The vibe rolled their eyes. Oh, gone. What? As if I've become an heathen now. You know, as if I, as if that's it. I'm going to go worship something else. But there's two things that are driving me to do this. One is what excites me. I might be the only Christian sat in that class. Well, bring it on. I'm ready for that. Secondly, we've got to be ignorant if we think that thoughts and ideas have not influenced our thinking in our church. And I want to understand these. If I'm going to stand for biblical truth, I've got to understand what the world outside there thinks. I think we've got to be courageous to stand for what we believe. Because if we believe it to be true, it should look like it's true in our actions. But what Peter's warning against is people coming into our community and making us believe falsehood. Making us believe something that is not true. And why is this so dangerous? Because what you believe determines how you act. The 60s were a great time for experiments. It's all the same to do. If it weren't in classrooms, it were with drugs or anything. It was just bizarre. And I found this one experiment in a university in America. And what the lecturer decided to do was start calling the students names, characteristic names, which there wasn't. So he called one the SWAT of the class, like the brightest person of the class. And this person wasn't the brightest, but he kept on saying it to her. He called one the class clown, who wasn't the class clown. But sure enough, after a while, he started to act to become the class clown. And this other girl's grades grew rapidly and she became the top of the class. You see, because if you listen to what people say to you long enough and with care and attention, you'll start to believe and you'll act accordingly at what people tell you. And this is Peter's warning. Peter's warning is not, don't be afraid to engage with other thoughts of this world. His warning is, don't listen to those that are telling you falsehood, because sure enough, you will act out what they tell you. This is the frightening thing in 2 Peter. It says, in fact, in verse 15 and 20, these false teachers were just like you once. They believed in the Lord Jesus. They made Jesus the Lord. They knew his holy ways. But they turned from the righteous path to a perverse path because they believe something different now. So that warning is this. Any one of you in here, including myself, could end up in this position. 
Those who started off on the righteous path have now turned away. This is not an attack from the outside. This is people turning on the inside. And Peter uses Balaam to illustrate that these false teachers once knew the true God, but now have chosen the wrong path. In the book of Numbers, chapter 22, we have Balaam. It's not supposed to be going to see back. He decides, no, I'm going. Gets on his donkey. He gets to a crossroads. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord blocking, but Balaam done. So he starts, and the donkey stops dead. So Balaam starts eating his donkey. Says, why aren't you moving? Him and his donkey get into an argument. And he says to his donkey, why am I beating you? If I had a sword, I'd kill you. And then God opened up his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord. And this is what the angel of the Lord said. He says, do you not know that I am blocking you from the path of your perverse way? And Peter's saying, do you not understand the way that these false teachers will take you is a perverse path. It's a path where you've gone from righteousness and now it's perverse. It's not... Well, if you believe what you want to believe, that's fine. And I'll believe what I want to believe. Now Peter's saying, one of you's righteous and the other one's perverse. There's no middle ground. There's no relativism for Peter. It's not what works for you and don't. Righteous or unrighteous and perverse. These two paths of right, the one of righteousness and the Lord is Jesus Christ or the other path of perverse and yourself is your Lord. You'll have two Lords in this world, either yourself or Jesus. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15? Always be ready to give reason for the hope that what? Jesus Christ is Lord in your life. That you've made Jesus Lord of your life. Listen, when you're standing against the world... You better be ready to engage that world to tell them that Jesus is Lord and why Jesus is Lord in your life. But what you've got to be careful of, those who are sat amongst us who've chosen a path of perverseness, of unrighteousness, that will lead us astray. And you'll know them. You will know them. Because these teachers will trade in holiness and righteousness for the pleasures of the flesh. It is imperative that we choose the right path and not follow false teachers. I've got three quick points. I'm not bothered if I go over because I ain't going to that 20 to 30 things tonight. You know, I ain't worried. I'm going next week with the others. <laughs> <laughs> So my first point tonight 
is where the battle is fought and the battle is won and lost is in the mind. Peter likens these false teachers to irrational animals who seek sensual pleasures in verse 12. He said, the creatures of instinct and they're ignorant. All three descriptions are invoking a sense that false teachers are not engaging the brain. They're irrational. They go off at instinct, emotion, and they're ignorant. All these descriptions are of a cognitive value. They're not engaging the brain. They're not working the mind. Peter does not say, listen, go with your gut feeling on this, because that's right nine out of ten times. He says, listen, engage your brain. Remember last week, or two weeks ago, when Peter's antidote, when knowledge of Jesus Christ, he uses the word 16 times in these three chapters. Like, this is a battle that's going to be won and lost in your mind first. And if it's won, you'll continue on the path of righteousness. But if it's lost, you will be on the path of the way of the perverse. <coughs> if you do not engage your brain and think and reason, then you will become like animals living by the physical impulses that drive you. Right enough, the Christian faith is one which requires a leap of faith. But also an engagement of the mind. We are not blind followers. We are rational thinking followers. If you do not read and study your Bible alone and in the church community, you will never engage your brain and you become susceptible to false teachers. This is Peter's warning and answer. He's saying you engage your brain. Do not become animal-like. Control your passions and desires and line up what you think with what Jesus taught. If we don't, we'll walk away from the narrow path, joining the blots and blemishes. That's what Peter calls them. See, the job of the blots and blemishes are to find unsteady souls in verse 14. They want to entice the unsteady ones into sin. Who's the unsteady ones in us? The ones who don't engage as brain, read the Bible, be amongst other Christians. Like I said two weeks ago, I've got many things wrong in what I've believed. Many, many things. But from a moment I became a Christian from a Bible study at Adrian's house to all the people in between Lionel and Margaret's Bible study meeting pastor every Friday discussing with the elders setting with Ian's family now 
a lot of times I've got stuff wrong. I might not say it because I don't want to look stupid. But I've sat there and listened. We know that we haven't got all the answers. But if I don't engage my brain, I'm going to have no answer. Do you want to be like one of those that have fallen away into sin? We must protect our mind with the truths of the Bible. What does Paul say? But hold every thought captive to Jesus. Not every impulse, not every emotion, not every whim, but what's going on in your mind, all that to Jesus. Like, what are you thinking? Does it line up with what Jesus says, did, and died for? If it doesn't, you get that thought out of your mind. You don't obey it. You don't follow it up. You don't let it drive you. We all have thoughts that are not good. That are not good. They're not. We cannot erase what we think, but we can hold it up to Jesus. The thoughts that are not good, we do not act upon them, right? We judge what our thoughts are right and wrong. I know many people in this church have thought many times about throttling me. But someone's kicked in and said, don't do it. Well, not whilst pastor's watching. Wait till he's alone. And we don't act. We're not animals. We're not stupid. We just don't act on the th first thing that comes in our mind. And Pete's saying, this is what a good Christian does. They weigh it up. They hold it captive to Christ. They share the thoughts with the Bible group, with other people. They get the thinking right. See, we have a faculty in our brains of judgment which determines whether we think something is right or wrong. It's not something that we learn, but we have a judgment built into us frame to decide this I can tell you this for a fact as living at Ian's I'm surrounded by kids now it's like a play school there's millions of them there's something water in that house and I'm frightened I'm telling you but a child knows when it's doing wrong I tell you now because it does it all the time and it knows when it shouldn't be doing it it doesn't the children don't learn. It's like it's built into them. They know what's right and wrong and they know what to do. We have a faculty of judgment. But Paul and Peter says, that judgment that was your own has now been replaced by Christ Jesus. We don't judge things by ourselves, for ourselves anymore, but we hold it up to Christ and the Bible. And if we do not win the battle in our mind, we will walk an unrighteous path. That's my first point. My second two are not as long. My first point is, the battle is in the mind. What we believe and think will determine how we act. My second point is what Peter says. A sinful life is not a life of freedom. See, these four teachers have been teaching and love and look out for and want greed, 
pleasure and sensual passions. Verse 13, 14 and 18. In verse 19, the false teachers are claiming that to act in such a way is true freedom. See, we are now free to practice whatever we wish. Because of that atoning work and saving work that Jesus has done on the cross, we are now free to act in greed, pleasure, sensual passions of the flesh. So this is what they're teaching. This heresy has come from, at this point in time, has come from Greek thought. The Greeks believed in a real division between spirit and body, the divine and humanness. And spirit and divinity were perfect and pure, and it were great. And the body is horrible and weak because it's driven by sensual pleasures and you can't control them. You're hungry, you can't control that. Urges of lust, can't control it. So they detested the physical body and they loved the spiritual being, knowing they were going to be there one day. So you had two camps that came out of this thought. The Stoics, who believed, you just kind of, they were like Yorkshire people, you know what I mean? Never smiled, just kind of, you know what I mean? They never let their emotions get better of them. You keep your emotions down, you control your passions. Or you'd have the other side, the Epicureans, which just kind of said, you know what? We're here. Let's just enjoy life. It's horrible. We kept giving to them passions. Do whatever you want. Because one day we'll be free of this horribleness. And we'll be allowed to be the spirit and be pure and not... And these thoughts are massive in the Christian world of the time, in the Greek thought. And this crept into Christianity because they said, do you know what? One day we're going to be spiritual being. We're going to be with Jesus. So now just live how you want because you can't control it. Do what you wish. Their thought was, if you can't beat them, join them. If everyone else is doing it, we'll do it. You succumb to your flesh. And you'll see this heresy in the Apostle John's thought in his epistles, where he's fighting against this thought, and he said, no, Christ became flesh. God became flesh. And this would be abhorrent. That God would become this horrible animal thing. The thought of God becoming flesh would be detestable. But Peter says, You see, those that act like that, that give in to the sins, that give in to the flesh, that give in to that, they think they've got freedom. Because they can do whatever they wish. They're giving in to the body. They're giving in to the thought of the time. It says, but in fact, they've become slaves. They're not free at all. You see, true freedom can only be found in Christ. As a freezer from the bondage of sin. We no longer detest our body and try to push down 
the sinful desires. And we no longer act them out because we can't do anything else. We have something else. We turn to Christ. We turn to Christ and pray and walk, have our mind renewed that our sinful desires go. We walk in holiness now. We now have a spirit of God which is, allows us to become free in Christ. We are free from sin. We are free from bodily desires. Paul says, you don't desire the things of the world no more. But you know that feeling you've got. You know them desires. That's what you used to desire Christ. See, Paul reclaims this passion, this animal instinct. He says, see them instincts, them desires? You have that for Christ. By making Christ your Lord, can you only be truly free? It is a fallacy of the world that if I do whatever I want, that is freedom. It's a fallacy, it's a lie. Solomon Kierkegaard said, actually this is what true freedom is. That being rational and reasonable, autonomous human being would place themselves under the sonship and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Choosing to submit to authority of Christ is actually true freedom. True freedom is choosing God, not acting like an animal as you wish. You know, Christianity is unique not only in that we're right and everyone else is wrong, but it's unique in any other faith in this world or thought because it holds the body to be sacred. Any other religion, faith or thought has an issue with the body because it's decaying, because it's sinful, because it's lustful. But only Christianity says, no, 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 there's a plan for your body on this earth and the next. On this earth, you house the Holy Spirit and become a temple. And the next life, you will be made perfect. We are no longer animals. Granted, some of us might look like the missing link. But we are not animals. Our body has been redeemed for a purpose. We are free because our body is free from desires of sin. Granted, some of us do struggle with sin. That's the reality. The fact that you're struggling tells me that God's got hold of you. Because I tell you what, when I didn't have God, I never struggled. What you do with your body matters. And my last point quickly. So my first one is, the battle is going to be waged in your mind and the battle is for your body. Do not act like a base animal. But act as if your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. My third point is, if you do 
turn away from the righteous path. If you do turn away from the Lord being the Lord of your life, back to a way where you act out a sinful nature, it'll be worse for you. A life of sin with no knowledge of Jesus Christ is bliss. I can attest to that. Like I said, I had no problem sinning when I did not know Jesus Christ. It's not an issue, it's not a problem. And but the Bible confirmed that. The Bible says, see those people without Jesus, they love the darkness. They seek the darkness, they, they, they revel in it, they love it. Paul says they revel in it. You will love the darkness if you don't know Jesus. But when you know the truth of Jesus and you go back to that life, the life is in fact worse. Why? Because you know the truth. I remember in my early days of recovery, and I'd be in the AA meetings, and I'd only just kind of come at faith, I didn't know my faith, so there were a lot of other Christians in there. And this is what they'd always say, they'd always go out and they'd relapse. They'd relapse and go back to the drink and drugs. They'd come back in the meetings and they'd go, you know what, Jesus has ruined my drinking. He's ruined my drug taking now. Like, I cannot have a good relapse. He's just wrecked it. And that told on me. I'm like, what do you mean? Once you know the truth, you cannot go back to that anymore. Because your conscience will keep telling you. Jesus will keep telling you what you're doing is wrong. The Holy Spirit convicts you. You feel even worse. So two things happen with people when they relapse. Either they relapse that bad and the conscience is so bad, they never come back. And you end up burying them. Or you just don't relapse. Because the life is horrible. Because once you have seen the truth, you cannot go back to being ignorant. It's impossible. When you know that four is the answer to two add two, you can never not unknow that answer. It is a contradiction of self when you know the right life, but then you choose to live another Yourself is contradicted. And that contradiction will tear you apart and ruin your life. That life of contradiction, Peter claims that it is like a dog returning to vomit. The dog knows that it's vomit. The dog has just vomited that up. It knows that it is vomit. But yet it returns to eat it. I've witnessed that. And it is the vilest thing. That the audibleness, your own sick and puke, to go back and eat that. That is what you do. When your life is a contradiction and you go back to the old way, knowing the truth. To turn away from righteousness and holiness, in verse 21, to a life of sin and unrighteousness, is folly, self-deceiving 
and a living contradiction. What you think about Christ should manifest in your actions. And we know what these actions are. Peter tells us. First chapter. Says, this is what your life looks like. Virtue. Knowledge. Self-control. Steadfastness. Godliness. Affection. Love. If you do not practice these, if your life does not resemble these, if you act in di direct opposition to these, then you've fallen foul of a false teaching and now practicing desires of the flesh and in your freedom have become slaves to sin, live in a contradiction. And if that ain't bad enough, you'll be judged for it. God's going to judge them and he'll judge you. Peter tells you. He said, you're going to get judged in this life. It's going to be full of destruction. And then God is going to, you're going to feel destruction in the next. We read that earlier in the chapter. It's not like once saved, always saved, and we can do what I want kind of saved. We can never forget that no matter how loving and grace-filled our Lord is, He's still a judge. Protect your mind with the Bible. Become free by submitting to the Lordship of Christ. And do not live a contradiction, but be holy as your God is holy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, if any of us have got it wrong, if in naivety and innocence we have strayed away, Lord, we ask you to bring us back with love and care. Lord, if there's anybody in our church teaching that it's okay to do what you want, that we are now free to do what we want, we ask you, Lord, to remove them from our congregation. And to those that are easily led, we ask you to protect and make us aware so we can protect the flock. Lord, be the Lord of our lives. And in our freedom, we submit to your authority. And let us win the battle of the mind so our bodies will follow. In your son's name, amen.